Hey, Crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 25th, a bit of a bonus episode for all of you listeners to start the week. If you checked your mini break podcast feeds earlier in the day, you saw an episode where I broke down all of this weekend's championship action on the ATP and WTA Tour. It was truly an electric weekend of tennis. Certainly headlining it was the run by 20-year-old Lorenzo Musetti to his first career title in Hamburg. Musetti was spectacular throughout the course of the week, but in particular in his three-set victory. Victory over Carlos Alcaraz. Musetti has clearly already made strides in improving some of the weaknesses that have plagued him early in his career. And I explain what those weaknesses have been, how he's continued to improve on them, how those improvements manifested themselves in his performance against Alcaraz in today's earlier podcast, of course. We also talked about the continued excellence of Bernarda Pera. Bernie P might be the hottest player on either the ATP or WTA Tour. 12 consecutive victories, all in a straight set variety, the latest of which earned her back-to-back title. She won last week in Budapest this past week. She takes the crown in Hamburg, straight set victory over world number two Annette Conteve in the final in which she dominated that match from start to finish. I break it all down, contemplate Bernie P's upside moving forward as well, of course. We also got into Palermo. Irina Begu looked spectacular in earning her first title since I believe 2017 on the WTA Tour. Begu did a pretty good Carolina Pliskova impression. And again, I explain why in today's earlier episode, we also got into Casper Ruud going back to back as he earns the title in Stodge, a three-set victory for him over Matteo Berrettini, a match where he faced break points one all, two all, or one all, excuse me, four all in the second set, a couple of big serves in 
unexpected places help him fight those break points off, ultimately help him earn a three-set victory. I talk about the mechanics of his win over Berrettini. Why I was impressed by Berrettini in his first week back and where each of those players go from here heading into the hard court summer. Again, all of this weekend's championship action on the ATP and WTA tours broken down in today's earlier episode. Now, with that thought in mind, typically we save a breakdown of this week's tour-level events till our Tennis Point Tuesday episodes of this podcast. And, of course, Tennis Point Tuesday is still going to be coming to all of you listeners tomorrow. Nate Walrith and I are going to break down each of the week's five tour-level events, three on the men's side, two on the women's. We'll go through each of the draws, talk about the players we like to move forward, ultimately take the title, talk about the dark horses we're watching most closely, the most interesting storylines at each event. We're still going to do that tomorrow as we always love chatting with Nate Walrath and highlighting everything going on with our friends at Tennis Point. But as some of you listeners may know, I happen to be on the call for T2 this week, broadcasting many of the matches that have occurred throughout the course of the day on the ATP and WTA tours. As such, I have some thoughts on Monday's matches. And so what I want to do rather than look at the draw more broadly just talk about the matches I saw, talk about the matches I was able to broadcast, offer my takeaways from the first day of tour action on the week. Again, we've got five tour-level events. On the men's side, you've got Umag, you've got Kitzbühel, you've got Atlanta, the official start of the hardcourt summer, and I have a promise I'm going to make to all of you listeners. And it's minute four of the podcast, so hopefully most of you are still listening at this point. If you tune in to Tennis Point Tuesday tomorrow, I guarantee you Nate Walrith will refer to Atlanta as Hotlanta. I guarantee you commentators throughout the week are going to refer to Atlanta as Hotlanta. My promise to all of you listeners is I will never do that. Because in no world will I be calling Atlanta Hotlanta. May I call it the ATL? Possibly. Was it incredible today that they had to take a break due to humidity between Marcos Giron and Sun Wu Kwan? Not rain. It was so humid in the air that the court got slick. They had to pause the match in Atlanta. That's hot. No doubt about it. But I'm not calling it Hotlanta. That's my promise to all of you listeners this week. But again, Umag, Kitzbühel, Atlanta, on the men's side, of course, you've got the action in Prague and then an inaugural WTA event happening, of course, in Warsaw, Poland this week. That event so much a byproduct of the success of world number one Iga Sviantek and to see the tentacles growing off of Sviantek to see her success already motivating the people of Poland, the Polish Tennis Federation to host a WTA 250 event. That's awesome. That speaks to the impact success of a player can have in a nation trying to inspire and develop tennis within its country. I want to talk about all of the matches I saw at each of the five events. Of course, part of the privilege of being on the broadcast. Let's try that sentence again, but leave it in. Part of the privilege of being on the broadcast for T2 is to have the opportunity to be able to jump around from site to site. Yeah, we locked in on a couple of matches. Victoria Golovich's three-set win over former 2018 NCAA singles champion from the University of Mississippi, Hartono. We were able to watch that match primarily from start to finish. We really did watch from start to finish Daniel Alahi Galan's three-set victory over Fabio Fonini, but 
we also were able to jump around a bit. We were able to catch the biggest moments of Sun Wukong versus Marcos Giron, the topsy-turvy nature of that three-set match. We were able to catch so many different matches. Zeppieri, the 20-year-old Italian lefty, earns his first ATP Tour main draw victory um, today and advances to the second round. Obviously, another young Italian having success. Always fun to see a lefty having success as well. Rodionov, uh, Juan Pablo Varias. You know, you're in the Tennis Channel studio long enough. All these matches are just, you're going to end up watching 5, 10, 15 minutes of each of them. And I had the opportunity to do that today as as such. You know, I want to offer some thoughts. Again, some casual observations as we titled last week's podcast. I could have retitled this week's podcast the same thing, but I try to change the title up each and every day on this mini break podcast, 365 different titles a year, 300, however many we do. I don't think... I've ever repeated a mini break title, but if I have, at A.L. Gruskin, you listeners can be the first to let me know. All of that said, again, I want to offer my Monday observations on the matches that unfolded on the tour level. Of course, if you're looking for a recap on what happened last week on the ATP Challenger Tour, you got to head over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Our contributors, Damian Kust, Jakob Babro, break it down each and every week. You will not find two people more committed, more intelligent, uh, more educated and passionate about everything happening on the Challenger level than Damien and Jakob that break it all down this week, talk about the remarkable rise of Ebing Wu and if Bernardo Pera is not the hottest player on the ATP or WTA Tour that right now, then certainly it's Ebing Wu who earns another challenger title this past week in Indianapolis. He's going to be in U.S. Open qualities at a minimum. He may end up even getting a main draw, a wild card. That's how successful Ebing Wu has been. Over the course of the past few months, they talk about him. They talk about all the success in Nur Sultan of the Kazakh-born players and everything else. Again, that podcast available on our website, crackrackets.com, or over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, a shout out to all of you listeners who do tune in to everything we're doing here at Crack Rackets, whether it be these podcasts, our Great Shot podcast, our Cracked Interviews podcast, where we've spoken with Madison Keys, Brandon Nakashima, Peter Smith, and so many more. Uh, of course, all of those podcasts available wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, a massive shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their continued support of this podcast. Tennis Point knows tennis fans deserve a daily show as there is so much action that happens day in, day out. It's another five tour level event week. How the hell can someone with a full-time day job or a full-time family or as a full-time student or a full-time anything that isn't directly associated with tennis be expected to follow every development that happens on the ATP and WTA Tour. And the answer to that question is they can't be expected to do that. And don't worry. That's what we here at Crack Rackets are able to do. Thanks to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, the least we can do, ask you to support them as well. And it's easy. You need anything new in your tennis game. Rackets, strings, shoes, clothes, you name it. They've got it. The best equipment at the best prices. You go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15. Not only we get 15% off all sale items, you get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, simple. Not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, 
Let's talk about Monday's results on the WTA and ATP Tour. Let's start with the action in Warsaw. I do want to talk about the aforementioned Victoria Golubic victory. Golubic, a 6-4-5-7-6-3 victory over Ariane Hartono. For those of you who don't know about Hartono, the 26-year-old was the NCAA champion back in 2018 as a part of the University of Mississippi. She became the first Dutch player in NCAA history to capture the NCAA title, and Hartono has closed in on a career high this season. Of course, she qualified for the Australian Open main draw earlier this season. She's currently 169 in the rankings, excuse me, reached her career high earlier this year at number 161 in May. You look for Hartono, 34 and 30 over her last 52 weeks now. That number drops to 13 and 17 here this season, but she's played a lot of WTA Tour level events, the most of her career here in 2022. And Credit to Hartono, who came through qualifying here in Warsaw to reach the main draw, had a very winnable uh, winnable match today, and had many opportunities against Victoria Golubic. This was a back-and-forth affair, and you look for Golubic, 29 years old, obviously reached a career-high 35 earlier this year, back in February, uh, on the premise and on the backbone, I should say, of her run to the Wimbledon quarterfinal last year. Now, of course, there were no Wimbledon quarterfinal points offered this season, and while she lost in the second round to have quarterfinal slam points just suddenly dropped off your resume. Golovic has dropped outside of the top 100 out to number 103, and Golovic has struggled here this season. I mentioned Hartono 13 and 17 overall on the year. Golovic is 15 and 17 in 2022, and unlike Hartono, is 19 and 25 in her last 52 weeks of play. These were two players who needed a victory and had an open draw and opportunity to do just that. And credit to Hartono. She was down 6-4-4-1 in this match and was, you know, her backhand, which is exceptional. I had not watched as much of Ariane Hartono as I should have, given our college tennis roots here at Crack Rackets, given she was an NCAA singles champion in 2018. I was at the 2018 NCAA singles championships, and yet I haven't spent enough time talking or examining the game of Hartono. Oh my goodness, does she have weapons. Backhand explodes off of her racket. Forehand is measured. It can be a big backswing, but the forehand has pop as well. But when she leans into her backhand, oh my goodness, is it gorgeous. And look, Hartono can scoot a bit uh, around the court. You look for Hartono. I I think she moves better laterally uh, than she does up and down, you know, uh, vertically through the court and moving forward towards the net. But you look at Ariane Hartono, who, again, 26 years old and, you know, I believe like 5'8", 5'9", maybe 5'10". Ball just explodes off of her racket. It's easy power. And as such, she's able to play on her terms regardless of the surface. She was missing a ton through the first hour of this match. She was under 40% first serves made for the majority of this match as well. She was misfiring. And yet when it clicked, down 6-4-4-1, she went on a run. And she ripped off six of the next seven games to take a 7-5 set. And, you know, again, Golubich had, I believe, two match points surfing for it at 5-4. And Hartone was able to fight them off. It may have been returning for it at 5-4. I think it was return. No, no, no. 
I think Golovich was serving at 5-4. And Hartono comes up with a couple of massive backhand cross-court returns to just assert herself and gain control of the point. And you know, again, Hartono is able to hold early in the first set. Goes up a break to uh, in the third set. Excuse me. Goes up a break to Love in the third set, and seemingly had wrestled control of the match. There was nothing Victoria Golovich could do with her one-handed backhand, with her ability to spread the court, her ability to play the slice, her comfort level at the net as well. She wasn't able to get into any of those bag of tricks because Hartono's power just threw her off, and yet. Hartono continued to spray. Hartono continued to struggle to land first serves. And credit to Victoria Golubich, who kept getting mad at herself after every point she won, seemingly understanding why am I unable to do anything against this opponent today. And yet, again, credit to Golubich, who was just the steadier of the two players ultimately. And you look again at the results. It's a 6-4-5-7-6-3 victory for Victoria Golubich. I mean, Hartono ends the match at a 46% first serve percentage. Obviously, that's not going to get the job done if she wants to be a top 100 player, which she certainly has the weapons to do. Now, the plus one combination for Hartono was the most lethal combination on the court. She won 66% of her first serve. She also won 52% of her second serve points. When she was able to dictate, she looked like a top 100 player. She has that sort of power. She has those sort of weapons from the baseline. She only made 46% of her first serve. She was 14 of 51 on second serve points with 12 double faults thrown in throughout the course of the match. And she just goes for it on that second serve, which I suppose credit to her for doing that, particularly if you're only making 46% of your first serves. You're hoping you know, that 54% is going to manifest itself on the second. She had a million opportunities, 16 breakpoint chances in this match, was able to convert eight of them. But again, just wasn't able to be wasn't able to find a plan B, plan C, plan D, grind her way and open up the court and withstand the physicality of Golubic and, you know, again, continue to pepper that backhand corner over and over again until you get a slice that you like left short in the quarter until, you know, again, Golubic isn't able to produce a defensive moon ball, which she did extraordinarily well in the outer thirds of the court throughout the course of this match. It just felt like patient. It, had Hartono been a bit more patient, she would have had she she would have ended up in the winner's circle again. She had wrestled momentum of this match from six three uh, from six four four one down, but you know had spent so much time chasing on the scoreboard, and you could tell her legs gave out a little bit towards the end of the third set. Credit to Golubich, who again extended rally after rally, felt no shame in throwing up a moon ball or two, you know, to extend the point and just try and get things back to neutral. Golubich didn't do much with her first serve, but she rolled it into the body. She chose her spots well. She spread the court whenever possible. She did enough to advance, and it was a much-needed victory for Victoria Golubic, who, with the win, moves back. Golubic, excuse me, moves back into the top 100 from 102 up to number 95 in the live rankings. Should guarantee her, again, if she sticks in this range, entry into the U.S. Open. And, of course, playing the slams is the name of the game if you want to sustain a top 100 ranking. That said, all of that in mind, I'm buying stock. 
on Arian Hartono, who again was a qualifier in Warsaw and, you know, 34 and 30 over her last 52 weeks has had a ton of success at the 60K, 80K level of the ITF circuit. Now she continues to work her way uh, into growing accustomed with the tour level qualifying for the Australian Open earlier this year. And, you know, you look for her now overall in her career. She's 11 and 9 when you include qualifying in tour level events. You know, only has one, excuse me, yeah, only has one tour level victory. Uh, two tour-level victories, excuse me, in her career. One in Luxembourg at the end of last season, one on the grass courts in the Netherlands earlier this season, but qualifies for another main draw in Warsaw. And again, in my opinion, the 26-year-old has all signs pointing in the correct direction. She's got the game. Can she rein it in? Uh, That will be the question moving forward. But really enjoyed being on the call for that match. It was a seesaw affair, and it was a really nice contrast of styles to see Golubic be as defensive uh, as she was throughout the course of that match. And now, of course, for Golubic, she'll face the winner of either Kiki Mladenovic or last week's semifinalist, I believe, and one of the rising I don't want to say stars, but a rising player on the WTH Tour in Anna Bondar. Uh, with that said, your other results on the day uh, in, I should say, Warsaw. Really nice to see Nadia Podoroska earn a victory. And, of course, Podoroska, who made that run to the quarterfinals of the French Open last season, has been extraordinarily injured. You know, didn't play a match between August 2021 and the end of June here this season. Has slowly been building herself up. Played a 25K where she reached the semifinals, then played a 100K where she once again reached the semifinals. That was consecutive weeks of action for her. Played qualifying last week in Palermo, lost first round qualifying, gets into the main draw here in Warsaw and earns a one-in-one victory over Alexandra Kadantu, the qualifier. I mean, again, did I get to watch much of the match? No, but uh, in an hour, 10 minutes for Nadia Podoroska, signs pointing in the right direction. Was a very impressive win uh, for Laura Pagosi. Pagosi ultimately 2-4 and four over the number nine seed. Garachava, you look for the 29-year-old uh, Pagosi. Excuse me, 27-year-old uh, Pagosi. Had a good win in Hamburg over Yanni. Had a good had a good win in Budapest over Peterson after getting in as a lucky loser. Now, three consecutive weeks with an WTA-level victory. That's how you get yourself towards the top 100, and you look uh, for Pagosi with her victory. She's currently at a new career high, number 106 in the live rankings for the Brazilian. Uh, Big victory for her one win away from a top 100 debut, of course. Speaking of Katarina Sinyakova, who knocked off Pagosi last week. Sinyakova, 2-4 and four win over Malachova. Uh, you also had a win from Chalinska, a uh, 5-2 win over Masarova. And Caroline Garcia, continuing her winning ways, 5-4 and four victory over Masaki Doi. Caroline Garcia right now in the WTA points race, 28th is the 28-year-old. 28th in the points race. Welcome back, Caroline Garcia, number 45 in the live ranking. She's just going to be in the mix at all of the summer events, playing as confidently as any player on the WTA Tour. But again, I know we didn't get into uh, all the nitty and gritty. We didn't talk about uh, the 
tennis abstracts draw forecast. We didn't talk about who my predictions are to win the event. If you're curious who the seeds are in Prague, I feel, or excuse me, in Warsaw, I do feel like I owe all of you at least that, who were the seeds. Uh, obviously, top seed Iga Sviantek, who's playing her home event. She's a 73.7% favorite to take the title on the clay courts in Warsaw. You can understand why. Unfortunately, there were a bunch of withdrawals. In fact, you know, the next highest seed is Caroline Garcia, the number five seed, who is in Iga Sviantek's quarter of the draw. Bondar 6. You know, Zinevska is the 11 seed. That's how deep we've had to go given some of the withdrawals we've seen in Warsaw. So it should be an Iga coronation on her home soil. Will that be the case? We'll offer our predictions later on this show this week. I should say tomorrow with Nate Walrith. With that in mind, let's move over to the WTA action that's happening this week in Prague. Top seed Annette Conteve not in play, uh, obviously, as the top seed. Um, she gets that day off coming off of the Hamburg final. She'll take on Ekaterin Gorgadze tomorrow. But you did have some upsets on day number one. Two seeds knocked out, most notably Magda Lynette. 6-3, victory over third-seeded Elisa Mertens. Is Elisa Mertens the Karen Hatchinoff of the WTA uh, of the WTA tour? Excuse me. I think it's a valid comparison. I think there are a lot of similarities in the two's games. I think there's a lot of similarity or in their narratives, not their games, in their narratives and the players they beat. You know the stages we see them at, the stages we see them fall short, some of the inexplicable results we see from both of them. But man, credit to Magda Lynette who just. She gets she she takes scalps. The thirty year old earns victories. Whether it was own Jabour in three sets at Roland Garros, she beats Ali Risk in Eastbourne. You know, second round appearance for her at Wimbledon. Now in her first match since then, a three set victory over uh, Elisa Mertens. Look, this is a very balanced match, very even match. Both of these players solid in just about every aspect of the game. I just thought Lynette was the more daring, the braver of the two players in the biggest moments, was the one more willing to pull the trigger down the line or take that ball early on the rise, move forward uh, in an advantageous position. I know these are just platitudes I'm offering you. I wish I could offer you more specific points. I mean, there were three very distinct sets. The most competitive of them was probably the first where, you know, Elisa Mertens, I believe, went down an early break but got that break back fairly quickly. Or no, was on serve early. No, no, I think she did get the early break back uh, fairly quickly and just, you know, again, was misfiring. Like anytime she tried to pull the trigger on the forehand down the line, it would spray long on her. And, you know, while she was successful at opening up court, she wasn't doing enough with the ball to move Magda Lynette from offensive to defensive. Lynette, at worst, in a lot of rallies, was at neutral, and it just felt like, you know, there were some porous drop shots from Mertens throughout. It just felt like Mertens was searching for game plans while Lynette was content being solid from the baseline, stepping up early when the opportunity presented herself. It's a nice win for Magda Lynette, who you look now overall in the WTA rankings. Lynette currently uh, sitting at number 67 is the 30-year-old. She's 56th in the points race. She'll get into qualifying to anything she wants to play. And obviously into that U.S. Open main draw as well. But nice victory, uh, certainly on the day. Uh, a nice, uh, Certainly an impressive upset for Magda Lynette. Another scalp for her to take in this 2022 season. For the record, Magda Lynette, 20-18 
overall this year has made some nice runs. Uh, quarterfinals Strasbourg on clay and you know quarterfinals Charleston as well. Now a big win here over Elisa Mertens to open up her quarter of the draw. And by the way, both seats knocked out of this section. Ali Van Udvank forced to retire down 5-2 to Dalia Yakupovic in her first round match. Just Van Udvank, you could tell, just physically wasn't able to move and you knew what direction that match was heading. So both those were your seeds knocked out on the day. Once he did get a victory, it was Marie Buzkova. 6-2-7-6 win over Kraus to advance. Really impressive win from Chloe Paquet. 2-6-6-4-6-3 over the always tricky Martin Sova. This is a deep cut for you Cracked Rackets fans. Go watch Chloe Paquet play and tell me you don't see Gage Brimer in her game. They strike the ball the same way. Their forehands look very, very similar. The ball slingshots. It's a cannon off the racket of Chloe Paquet. And, of course, uh, you look for the French woman, 28 years old, but, you know, has always been frisky and has always had that sort of firepower. Just I enjoy watching her play for whatever it's worth, and she was very impressive, even if a little streaky in a three-set victory. Of course, your other winners on the day, Wang Chung, 7-6 in the third over Rebecca Peterson, 6-1-6-1 win uh, for Ju Lin, and then Hibino now a 6-2-6-2 victory over Mihaela Buznarescu. That's where things were in Prague on the day. That was probably the event I watched the least of. But again, tons of fun first-round action getting underway tomorrow. Krachikova, Kontave, Alize Cornet, Serana Kirstea, Anastasia Potapova, who may be on another collision course with Annette Kontave in the quarters. That was, in my opinion, the best match of Hamburg last week. Would be very, very fun to see those two compete once again this week. But again, that is your action thus far in Prague. We'll offer our predictions and offer all the Tennis Abstract DraftKings knowledge to all of you listeners tomorrow. With that said, let's move over to the ATP side now. Break down the action we saw in Umag, Kitzbühel, and Atlanta. Want to kick things off in Umag, where I had the opportunity to be on the call for the Daniel Elahi Galan Fabio Fonini first round match. Fabio Fonini, a two time finalist in Umag, was, I believe, the 2015 champion, reached the finals, I want to say back in 2012 as well. Is there a clay court tournament? Fabio Fonini has not won. He's a former Stad champion, he's a former Umag champion. A lot of clay court success for Fonini. That's why he was able to sustain a top 50 ranking for just about a decade. But look, Fonini's outside the top 50 for the first time in that decade. Had to play qualifying in Bostad a couple of weeks ago for the first time since the Paris Masters back in 2012. And on the flip side, you've got a Daniel Galan who's sitting in the top 100 for the first time in his career. And with his three-set victory today, Daniel Galan, a 6-3-5-7-6-3 winner, he moves up to a new career high, number 92 in the live rankings. He should get in to that U.S. Open on his own accord. And you look for Daniel Galan, who's had so much clay court success uh, over the course of his career. He's had a ton of clay court success here this season. You look for Galan, who, uh, of course, made a run last week in Hamburg, came through qualifying, made the round of 16, was up a set before getting knocked out by Aslan Karatsev. Galan made a quarterfinal in Cordoba 
earlier this season, and you look for Galan on clay courts. And he's had all three of his quarterfinals at the ATP level come on the red clay. He reached, again, quarterfinals Cordoba this year, semifinals in Santiago and Houston in 2021 and 2019, respectively. You look for him at the challenger level on clay. Daniel Galan's made six different challenger finals on the clay courts. He's won six different titles, including three on the clay courts since August of 2020. Unequivocally a top 100 guy, top 75 on the clay courts, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. And you look for Daniel Galan, the fact that he's never made a clay uh, a clay court appearance, excuse me, at the slams. You look for him, the fact that he's made a third round at the French Open back in 2020. And, you know, of late has also won matches at Wimbledon, where he reached the third round this season before getting knocked out by Brandon Nakashima. Won a match at Wimbledon last year before getting knocked out in four sets by Lorenzo Sanego. He's proven he belongs at this top 100 ATP level. Now he's 29 and 30 overall in his career at the ATP level when you include Davis Cup, but there's a lot of main draw success in that run as well. And you look for Daniel Galan now 15 and 12 in first round matches at the ATP level. He's played 27 main draws. He's earned first round victories in 15 of them. That's belonging in the top 100. And you look for the 26-year-old who, again, is now at a career high in the ATP rankings. No, it's not top 50, but when you know you're getting into slam main draws, it allows you to take those opportunities to go play you know, uh, a Winston-Salem or go play a some of the indoor hardcourt European events we'll see at the end of the year. Maybe we'll go see Daniel Galan in Nur Sultan, a slow, high-bouncing hardcourt, which would be great for a guy who's had so much success on high-bouncing clay courts in his career. The Daniel Galan forehand is a forehand you introduce to your parents. It's a forehand you get a place with in the suburbs, have a couple of kids, settle down, you argue, let's send them to private school. No, the public schools in this suburb are great and we'll save ourselves so much money for their college funds. You know, that's what you do with this forehand. You have those sorts of debates. It's just special. And, you know, how easy it is for him to turn into that ball inside in, inside out, short angle. He can hit all the shots with it, but it is a bigger backswing. And certainly Fabio Fonini at times in this match was able to serve big into that forehand, was able to get Galan stretched on the backhand wing and then attack that forehand to produce unforced errors from the Colombian. But Fabio Fonini was not focused throughout the course of this match. And Daniel Galan broke Fonini to start each of the sets in this match, set one, set two, set three. And, you know, again, when you're just out in front, for two and a half hours, three hours, it's going to wear down your opponent. And by the end, Fonini was slapping forehands wide and just not moving his feet on plus one shots, not hitting the swinging volley or overhead as cleanly as he should. He had plenty of opportunities, and the racket speed Fabio Fonini can generate is still elite. But credit to Galan, who was willing to grind on that backhand wing. And I love how out in front he makes contact with that backhand, how easy it is for him to just simply guide that ball down the line with his hands, use his opponent's pace and topspin to keep that backhand line down. I was thoroughly impressed with Daniel Galan. And again, the 26-year-old's inside the top 100 for the first time in his career and is now inside the top 95 for the first time in his career. Knocks out his seed in Umag. And you look for Galan now, a very winnable match against 20-year-old Giulio Zeppieri. And you look for Zeppieri, who earns his first tour-level victory uh, 
this week in Umag. Comes through qualifying, beats Jill Simone in three, Elias Emer in three, now Pedro Cachin in three sets. It's a lot of tennis in three days for Giulio Zeppieri, who will get a day off and has the luxury of having the legs of a 20-year-old. You look for Zeppieri now, 20 and 19 uh, here on the season, You know, qualified for the 2022 French Open and has made, you know, a couple of runs at the challenger level on in clay court events, but you look for Zeppieri overall in his career. He's 45 and 50 uh, 47 and 51 in his career at the challenger level. You want to make that clay court specific, fine. He's 43 and 41. He did win his first challenger title in Barletta in August of last season, but you look for him overall, you know, two semifinals at the challenger level in his career on clay. It's a very win. The reason I bring this up, it's a really winnable match for Daniel Galan. And should he win the match, he'll crack the top 90 for the first time in his career. Once you're top 90, yeah, the point spread's not that big between 90 and 100, but you're firmly planted inside the top 100. You can just schedule the rest of your season differently. So credit to Zeppieri, the lefty's just so physical. And yet there's more pop on that first serve than you would expect. Zeppieri just six feet tall, but... Blessed with one of those shoulders where he really is able to spring through the ball, slice wide, slice tee, hit you into the body. I was impressed with his spot serving. Again, he just had the biggest weapons on the court against Pedro Cachin. But credit to Zeppieri for taking advantage of the moment, earning, again, his first uh, ATP main draw victory of his career, of course. Outside of that, Chechenato versus Mili Poljacek, uh, excuse me, I totally butchered the wild card's last name, but of course the wild card, I believe the junior Wimbledon uh, champion indeed at 18 years old, 4'11 in the world. You look at his match against Chechenato, uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure I was correct. There were 37 break points in this match. 37 break points. Oh, the perks of playing an 18-year-old. If you're Chechenato, who advances six seven uh, six one five seven six two, good for him to get that victory coming out of qualifying. Of course, two guys who have so much success on this surface: Roberto Carbeas Abena, four and five win over Henry Laxon, and then Helmi Munar out physicals Mikhail Immer in a four six six one six four match that looks exactly like you fans expected it to talk about track meet tennis but that's your day's action in umag let's move over now to the action that unfolded in kitzbühel was pretty solid day one as you look on the grounds and by the way we'll get into the umag seeds carlos alcaraz yannick sinner sebastian baez hogaruna the umag draw is a dream draw for us here at cracked rackets and we'll break it all down with nate tomorrow so that i don't have to do that twice for all of you but you look over in kitzbühel a little less mainstream. You had some low-key winners on the day. Of course, Yuri Lachetchka, the young Czech who we've raved about. I thought he played Kasparud pretty even last week. Only two breaks of serve in that match. Believe the final score was 4-4. Four and four. The serve, the forehand, the pace on the backhand, his willingness to take that ball early on the rise, his willingness to move forward. I'm very much in on young Yuri Lachetchka, as you listeners will be well aware of right now. Nice victory for him over the clay court veteran lefty Diego Montiero. Six and four win for Lechechka. Uh, you look for Yuri now. Where is Lechechka? He's got to be top 100, right? Yeah, he's 69 in the rankings is the 20-year-old. You look for him 58 in the live rankings. Yeah, 20 years old. Uh, that's just where you want to be. You get to play all the events, all the big events. Go play qualifying. You're 20 years old. You can afford to. Uh, with that said, again, Lechechka, impressive first-round victory. Federico Coria, probably your second most notable win on the day. He just... 
prolongs the struggles for Christian Green, and this was very much a Spider-Man match, two men, uh, two Spider-Man meme match. Excuse me, two men who want to dictate with the forehand, who both move extraordinarily fluidly and well on these clay courts. Corey was just better. Green wasn't confident in the biggest moments. And, you know, he goes up an early break in set number two, only to see that break lead evaporate. And he was down three love in the first set, seemingly before this match started. And yeah, he was able to get things back on serve, but he had been trailing for an hour. And just, again, things did not click for Christian Green today. Wasn't able to win anything easily. And you're never able to win anything easily against 30-year-old Federico Correa. But it was a particular struggle for him today. Now, on the flip side, I mean, you look for Correa in his career at the ATP level. Correa, 37 and 43 overall. 32 of those 37 wins have come on clay courts. He's 5 and 16 in non-clay court tour level events, 32 and 27 overall on the clay courts. You look for him overall, and he's made eight different quarterfinals on clay courts, all of them coming since the start of the 2020 season. That, my friends, is the definition of a top 50 clay court player in the world, and Tennis Abstract ELO ratings agree, as they currently have him at 48. With that said, good win from Korea who continues those struggles again for Christian Green. You look for Green now overall on the season outside of that Wimbledon run to the quarterfinals where he goes 4-1 and one overall. He's 12-17 and 17 overall on the year. He has a Rome quarterfinal run, a Houston semifinal run, a Wimbledon quarterfinal run, and that's really it. Yeah, an Australian Open third round, which feels like it was a decade ago as he was the number 16 seed, and right now he's ranked 71 in the world. That said, uh, certainly, again, credit to Correa, who's just so solid on the surface, turns defense into offense so well. He's going to sneak the backhand down the line by you if you're not expecting it. Other winners on the day, birthday brother Juan Pablo Varias, welcome to the top 100. The young Peruvian uh, with a straight set victory today up to number 96 in the live rankings, top 100 for the first time in his career. Good win for him, 4-3 and three over Carlos Taberner. Yuri Rodianov, the lefty wild card into this event in his home country of Austria, gets a much-needed 4-2 win over qualifier Hernan Casanova, who is a grinder. But bigger, we- biggest weapons on the court belong to Rodionov, and he made that fact well clear. Your other winners on the day, Sosa over Capriva, the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic over Sanchko, and then qualifier Philip Misalic, uh, a 2-6 and six win over lucky loser Dutra da Silva. That was your action in Kitzbühel. And of course, last but certainly not least, we had the action in Atlanta, which started later on in the day. And I'm recording this 5.25 Pacific time, which is, of course, 8.25 Eastern time as such. I believe now all of our Atlanta matches should be concluded. Indeed, they are at least in singles. And it was a fairly well. Actually, we did have a massive up upset on the day. Sebastian Corda, who made the switch to Nike. Shout out to the call up. I think we all agree Nike over Adidas. Honestly, I'm fine with both. They're both exceptional. But as a Nike man myself, I like the move. That said, he's 0-1 in Nike clothing. Sebastian Corda takes a 6-1 first set. Game evaporated after that. And credit to Taro Daniel, who looked taller on the broadcast for some reason. Looks like he had grown an inch. Now, I know he hasn't, but he looked a little leaner, maybe. Just looked looked tall and skinny. And ultimately just wore Corda down as the errors piled up for Corda in set number two, set number three. Just the approach shot had seemingly completely abandoned him. 
Daniel was too solid. 1-6-6-1-6-3 victory. Impressive for the qualifier. It was actually all three set matches on the day in Atlanta. Good win for Brandon Nakashima. 7-6-3-6-6-3. Nakashima defending finals points from last season. Just out physical. Jordan Thompson and could do a little bit more. Was a little bit more comfortable moving forward. And I thought served really well throughout the course of the match. Good win for John Millman. 7-6-4-6-6-3 over Feliazzi. Alexi Popperin. Keep waiting for Popperin to click. I feel like he's a poor man's Kyle Edmund, but that's a conversation for another time. And then really impressive from Kwon Soon Wu, uh, who earns a 7-6-4-6-7-5 victory over Marcos Giron. Kwon Soon Wu had a big lead in the first set. Giron ends up forcing a breaker. Kwon holds on to the first set breaker. Giron then races away with the second set and is up a break early. In the third, seemingly has all of the momentum, but Quan just keeps grinding away, and there's just not a weakness in his game. He's not going to overwhelm you with any one thing he does, but the depth on his backhand, the drive on his forehand, serve can sit short, but he hits his spots well, spreads the court extraordinarily well. Tough loss for Garon, who, you know, certainly has had a rough go, I would say, of late. You look for Marcos Garon. I guess he made quarterfinals in Mallorca, but you know, between the Rome round of 16 and that Mallorca run, he lost four consecutive first round matches, currently sitting at 55 in the rankings, but has a nice chunk of points to defend from the end of last season coming up as he made round of 16 Paris Masters quarterfinals, Winston-Salem won a round at the U.S. Open semifinals in Sofia, healthy chunk of points for Garon, who's currently sitting at number 55 in the rankings, but again, a lot of people hot on his tail. With that said, that's your action across the board in our ATP and WTA Tour level events. Now, I apologize. I probably should have done a better job previewing all of Tuesday's matches. But guess what, folks? If you want to watch all of Tuesday's matches, you can. Along with our friends at Tennis Channel, you can hear me on the call for some of them on T2 as well. If you want to learn how to get get T2, uh, just Google Tennis Channel T2. Uh, and I believe you'll be able to find the instructions in the first article that you click on. At least that's how I taught my parents uh, how to do it, of course. Again, a massive shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out. I am sending him these podcasts at weird hours as always. He is prepared to edit and release them to you so you all are well aware of everything that is happening in the tennis world. Of course, a shout out to our friends over at Tennis Point as well. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. That promo code is CR15. Again, tomorrow. Tennis Point Tuesday. We'll break down all of the draws in depth. We'll talk about our sleepers. We'll talk about our favorites. We'll name our favorite storylines and so much more with our friend Tennis Point's Nate Walrith. With all of that said, for the fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.